Genesis chapter 41. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears of corn sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven healthy, full ears. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven good ears. I told this to the magicians but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. 
God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It's one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asks them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain round his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zephanath paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. 
Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he, he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph no named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son, he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. I think Sue deserves a medal there, don't you? Thank you, Sue. You read that beautifully, and it was, it was so long. But it's, it's important for us to have the background of what, what's going on in, in the story of Joseph. It's, um, it's a great story, isn't it? It's, it's a famous story, we, we know it very well, and yet it's a wonderful story. We've, we've enjoyed following Joseph so far, and last week we descended, didn't we, to the very depths with Joseph. And poor Stephen got the, got the, the joy of, of going, taking us down into the depths on his graph, and I get the joy of leading us up again into God's great purpose for, for the life of his servant Joseph. So from rags to riches, from prisoner to prime minister, what a massive change takes place in the life of Joseph in chapter 41. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the, the word that we've just heard read. We thank you that it tells us of an event that happened. We followed Joseph into the prison and, and felt for him in all the, the difficulties that is known, and now we see him being lifted up. And in almost a, a very, a few hours maybe, a short period of time, his life was transformed. And we thank you that in many ways, that, that's the gospel for us. You are the same God, and we pray that this evening, as we hear your word preached and proclaimed, that you would put that into our hearts, put it into our minds, that if we're at the bottom, if we're at the dregs, that we can know that you can lift us out. And we pray that you would do that, even in our lives this evening. Amen. Amen. So chapter 40 ended on a low, a, a big low. We, we followed Joseph's story, and it, it goes down a bit and down a bit more, and, and then it, he kind of lifted himself up, wasn't he, in, in Potiphar's prison, and then 
he had that trouble with Potiphar's wife, and boof, down he went into the prison again, right at the bottom. And, and chapter 40 sums up that grief, really, doesn't it? We see there that he, he'd interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, and, um, and, and Joseph had said to them, didn't he, when all goes well with you, that's in, in the chapter 40, verse 14, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. And then right at the bottom there of chapter 40, the final verse, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And it's like, oh, we could feel that last week, couldn't we? Poor Joseph. He was forgotten. But then in chapter 41, we read in the first verse, when two full years had passed. Was Joseph waiting there for the the knock on the door? Did he remember me to Pharaoh? Two full years had passed. Pharaoh had a dream. Two years of hoping and waiting. Lesson number one. God seems to work very slowly at times, doesn't he? In our lives, we we would want to speed things up, speed our prosperity, speed our good times up. But God seems to work slowly, but he is at work. He is always at work, and he was at work in, in the life there of Joseph. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh, in fact, had two dreams, and those dreams brought about the change for Joseph, the change that we've been looking forward to and the change that Joseph had hoped for. So Joseph has, I mean, Pharaoh has these dreams, and, but he can't find anybody, can he, to interpret them? And, and the, the change that takes place in Joseph's life is the narrative of, of this chapter. We heard it from Sue, how that things are progressing and going on, and then all of a sudden, there he is in charge of the, of the whole of Egypt, from the prison to prime minister almost. There he was. And, and that's what's going on in the passage. God's lifting up his servant, doing great things through him. In verse 8, we, we saw that, that Pharaoh's dreams couldn't be interpreted. The wise men, the magicians, and they, they were good, skilled men, couldn't make head and tail of these dreams. Sorry, Pharaoh, we, we can't help you. So, so the... Um, cupbearer, that's right, poor old Baker, he was impaled, wasn't he, poor guy? He's no longer with us. The cupbearer then, do you know what? In, in verse 8, he said, doesn't he, says there, the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, truly I am reminded of my shortcomings. I forgot all about him. I promised I'd, I'd mention him and I'd forgotten about him. But your dreams have reminded me. And he said, there is a man. He can interpret dreams. So, so Joseph is, is brought to Pharaoh. Imagine the, 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 the gates of the prison are unlocked. Joseph, have a wash, get ready, get dressed. You're going to Pharaoh. Well, probably no explanation. And there he is, ushered into the, the presence of this man who's, who's like a god in Egypt. There would have been these people fanning the fans like you see. And, and there is the Pharaoh. And Joseph's brought into the very presence of Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh assists him and explains his dreams. And, and Joseph hears the dreams. And with God's help, he interprets the dreams quite easily. And then not only does he interpret the dreams, but he advises Pharaoh what to do in, in the light of them. And then we see that, that, that um, Pharaoh has listened, 
And, and then what he does then in, in verse 41, Pharaoh said, well, that, that's great, but we need a man to put this into practice. Who, that, who can that man be? And Pharaoh said, well, surely the best man is you, Joseph. You are the man, the man in charge to bring these things, this, this, this interpretation into practice in the land of Egypt. And that's what he does. So, so Pharaoh, having listened to Joseph, takes his words seriously and then appoints him to be the man in charge. Joseph is given an immense task to do, isn't he? He has to, 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 to build the storehouses in, in the, during the seven years of plenty in various cities, and he does that. And then he, he, when, when, when the seven years of plenty comes, he gathers in and organizes the grain to be brought in, and he, by taxing the people a fifth of their harvest. Lesson here for the youngsters. I, I, when I was reading this, I just couldn't help but think. We, we were a generation brought up to have a rainy day fund. Alison and I, we, we, you, you put a bit aside, don't you, for, for the rainy day, for the difficult times. Our children and the generation under us spend all they've got. It's nothing to do with the passage, but I thought I'd say it anyway, <laughs> just to get it off my chest. Is that it's a good practice to have a bit of a fund set aside in the times of plenty so that when times of plenty aren't there, you, you can build them up. Rant over. Okay. The famine came, just as predicted, seven years of famine. And, and, and during those seven years of famine, Joseph was, was able to organize the selling of the grain. That he, he, the people came, people from, 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 from Egypt, people came from other countries, and, and Joseph was able to distribute the, the, the grain. And a huge income was brought in for Pharaoh. Pharaoh must have been, you know, rubbing his hands together. Pharaoh became immensely rich and powerful during this time. So, to cut, put it in a nutshell, it's, it's a really good, exciting chapter after the ones that we've got, had so far. We've got to know Joseph. Joseph's had a really difficult time since his youth. He, he, the, the hatred and the evil of his brothers. They were really nasty pieces of work. And it says in the scriptures, they hated him. And then a little later on when he came to visit them, they hated him all the more. They wanted to kill him, but they sold him into slavery. That was no fun for the young Joseph. The lies of Potiphar's wife, he was doing all right in that jail. And, and through no fault of his own, he was, he was accused of something he hadn't done. And that accusation was believed. Boom, down he went into the jail. What, what difficult years these must have been for the young Joseph. 13 years since he'd left home. 13 years that have been hard to bear. To, to have been a shepherd on the fields, that was fine. And then shackled up to some camel and dragged down into Egypt, sold into slavery, then down into prison. Difficult, difficult years. I've called it, he was in God's school of hard knocks. That's where he was, because God hadn't left him. God was at work in his life, as we've been able to see, because the Lord was with him through it all. But amazingly, even for a young man, Joseph was able to reason like Job. Shall we accept good from the Lord and not trouble also? Joseph was able to accept trouble from God's hand, as well as the good, and reason that the Lord was still with him.
Joseph had great faith. That's what we've seen, I think, over, over the, the journey so far. Joseph's faith was, was a great faith. And there are just two things, two lessons that I want us to learn this evening. So not too much homework to do. Two important truths that come out of this. And they're way at the end of our passage in verse 50, when Joseph names his sons, sons that were born to him in these years. The first son was called Manasseh. And the first point is Manasseh, a forgotten past. If you look at verse 51 there, verse 51 is the clue to that. God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Things have changed unbelievably in the past seven or more years for Joseph. He has literally gone from rags to riches. He's become from a prisoner to a prime minister, from a slave to the master of a nation, from a despised shepherd to a respected leader. He has the highest position in the land apart from Pharaoh. So, so God has lifted him up to a very high place. And looking back, the 13 years of difficulty, did that poison this, this new life of plenty? No. And the reason is because, as he said, God has made me to forget all my trouble. The past had shaped him, but the past hadn't destroyed him. He was a victim. Joseph had done nothing wrong. All the trouble that came to him was trouble that was, was put on him. It had done to him. And, and looking at this reminded me of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. I'm sure you remember it. Paul is speaking to them and says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Men and women, he dragged off to prison. He went from city to city, town to town, hunting them down, dragging them off into prison. Paul was a perpetrator of trouble. He wasn't a victim. He'd made trouble for other people. And what angerness and bitterness we see in, 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 in the Apostle Paul before he became a Christian. Yet his life, too, was changed massively when on the Damascus Road he met with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I often thought about that. And Paul could have been crushed by his past life, couldn't he? We, Alison and I watched a film the other day about William Wilberforce, the, the, the great slave, slave trade reformer, and in there was portrayed the elderly John Newton, the old slave trader, and as he got older, he became blind, and there was this poor blind man sweeping the floor in this film, and he was racked with guilt about his past life. That was what portrayed in John Newton. And I remember watching the film thinking, that's just not true. John Newton was not racked with guilt by his past life. Like Joseph, like Paul, he knew that in God's eyes, his past was forgiven. And he was able to forget that past. But that, that forgetting is a work of God. And that's what happened to John Newton. That's what happened to Paul. That's what happened to Joseph here. God has made me forget. Forgetting what is behind. What about us this evening? There's some pasts here, aren't there? Some difficult pasts, 
youngsters look at, our, look at us as older think, folks and think that we've always been like this, always been at church, always sitting on the things. There are some very different lives that used to be sitting here this evening, some very transformed lives. Some people have been victims of trouble. Others have been perpetrators of trouble, like Paul. But God is able to help us to forget those difficulties. Satan doesn't. Satan loves to stir up our past, doesn't he? I was speaking to a friend recently. We were converted at the same time. And I said, well, we hadn't met one another for years. And I said, how are you getting on in your faith? He said, do you know what? I'm troubled by ghosts and ghosts of the past. And I knew exactly what he meant because we all are, aren't we? Satan drags up our past and said, how can you be a Christian? How, God, how can God have forgiven you? Look what you've done. And we almost have to fight the truth back again that we, God has forgiven us. God has forgotten those things. We have to do that same things too. Because the truth is, as believers in Christ, our past is buried. And what a relief, isn't it? Our past from the dim, distant past. It's amazing what you can remember, isn't it, when you're getting older. The, the stuff you did in your youth. And you, wow, that was, that's clear still. But as believers in Christ, the past is buried with him, with Christ. No matter how bad or evil we once were, or no matter how filthily self-righteous we were too, our past is buried in Christ. It's gone. Isn't that wonderful? That's part of the gospel. Our past doesn't haunt us. It's gone. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. That's the good news of the gospel. So we can say with confidence too, God has made me forget all my troubles. And forget here means to have something no longer. It means it's not there. In God's eyes, it's not there. We don't have it any longer. There's a verse in Romans that, that sums up why this is the case. Listen to this carefully. We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, a life in Christ as Joseph was now beginning to, to live a new life without the past haunting him or spoiling the new life. Such is the gospel. Such is our life in Christ. We live a new life in Christ. So can I ask you the question, are you troubled by the past? Does it, does it maybe imprison you or, or paralyze you? Then if you are in Christ, a true born-again Christian, then God has forgiven and has forgotten your past. It's buried in Christ. He's paid for it. It's gone. It's not there to him. And, and God is able to make you forget it too. You might think, oh, Phil, honestly, I wish I could. I've tried and I've tried. And by ourselves, we can't forget it. By ourselves, it will always be there. Because as, as, as Joseph says, lesson number one, that God has made me forget my past. God has made me forget my past. It's a supernatural work. The forgetting of our past is a work of grace. It's a work of God. So if you are troubled by your past, pray to God. God, help me, enable me to forget my past. And he will, because that's what God does. So lesson number one, Manasseh, a forgotten past. Lesson number two, Ephraim, second son. Ephraim means fruitful, 
twice fruitful. Because Joseph said in verse 52 there, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So Ephraim, a fruitful future. God made me forget. God has made me fruitful. And, and what a, a fruitful life it was for Joseph from now on. He, he was, through his work, through his ministry, saving a nation from starvation, saving other nations too, and saving God's people, Israel, from starvation. Because as the story goes on, the brothers will come. And then comes the interesting bits, doesn't it? When, when Joseph knows who they are, but they don't know who he is, uh, and, and so on. So th there's lots more in the story yet to come. So 13 years of difficulty, 13 years of suffering, but now 80 years of fruitful living. God is at work in our lives. As we sang in the songs, that this same God is our God. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is able to transform us. He makes our lives fruitful. That's what he does. That the Holy Spirit, a gift given to all believers, is given to us that we might be fruitful in the service of God, to live a fruitful life. And it is the sweetest of fruit, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love goes off into a tangent of things in 1 Corinthians, doesn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience or forbearance. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit in a believer. God has made me fruitful. Now, I've been a Christian for many years. There's a lot of this fruit that still needs working out. It, it, I, I see it developing. It's taking a long time to come. The, the, the fruit on Phil's tree is taking a long time to ripen, I assure you. But God is making us fruitful. And, and very much so in the land of our suffering. So, such fruit as it made a difference to Joseph's life makes a difference to our lives too, doesn't it? A difference within our hearts, a difference without in our minds, as it, as it outworks in our, in our daily lives, in our family in our church, in our community, in our world. Pray that God would make you fruitful. Pray that would, God would make us, uh, Bishop Hannington, a fruitful church, that, that many would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to know and enjoy the forgiveness and the love of God and the exceeding riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. Pray for an abundant harvest here at Bishop Hannington, that we might know years of plenty. I'm sure Nick would be very pleased to, to be a part of the years of plenty. There's so many empty uh, chairs in our church that the tide is out. This church has known it to be so full that you didn't get here on time, you couldn't get in. And we, that's what we pray for, that the empty churches will be full of people knowing and experiencing the love of God that is to be given in Christ Jesus. Pray for that. But note the final bit in verse 52. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. We're not exempt from suffering. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. And Paul said, I'm hard pressed, but I'm not crushed. This God's school of hard knocks that we mentioned earlier on, it's still open. It's a long course. We, we are enrolled in God's school of hard knocks. When we are born again, when we become a Christian, we're in the infant class, then we go through the juniors and the seniors and so on. 
We graduate out of God's school of hard knocks, either at death or at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are people here who are experiencing God's lessons in the school of hard knocks. There are those undergoing doctorates in God's school of hard knocks. It is a painful lesson at times. Joseph was there. We see Joseph having been through the school of hard knocks and continued there. We see the Apostle Paul. He'd been through the school of hard knocks. He was still in there. But they were both bearing fruit. You may be suffering at the moment and think, oh, Lord, let me have the years of plenty. God is doing a work. Try to see it as Joseph did. Shall we not receive difficulties, problems from the hand of the Lord, as well as the good things, knowing that he is going to work through them to to his glory and praise. So we may be suffering at the moment, but don't let the suffering bring you to despair. Let it bring out fruitfulness. See it as, as God's work in your life, tilling the soil of your heart as it was for Joseph. So you can say, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So, two big lessons from the life of dear old Joseph this evening. And it's it's the lesson of the gospel, isn't it? Repentance and faith lead to life. Suffering leads to fruitfulness. A forgotten past. God has made me forget all my trouble. And a fruitful future. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Don't despair that your life will never bear fruit. It will, because God is at work to bring that about. And notice that God gets the glory from Joseph's lips. What I'm talking about here, and I've mentioned it already, it's a supernatural work of grace. You might be thinking, oh, Phil, you don't know me. I'm just hopeless at these things, doing good, carrying on, persevering. It's God's work. Rest in that. God is able to do far more than all we can ask or imagine. And that's what you need to hang on to. So God gets the glory. He said, may God make you and me to forget the trouble of the past. May God make you and me fruitful in life and service in the years to come. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. So there's so much more to come in the remaining chapters of Genesis, much to look forward to. But we're on the way up. Praise God for that. And may it be so in our lives too. If some of you are down in the bottom, the rocks of despair, then may God in his strength and goodness lift you up into the the glory of his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. It's good news. You are able to take nothing and to make something of it. You are able to bring out of death into life. You are able to remake the biggest mess that we could have ever gotten into and to make it into something so beautiful, a servant of the living God, loved, treasured, and blessed. So Lord, do a work amongst us, we pray. Make us fruitful in the land of our suffering for your glory and for your praise. Amen.